In regards to our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, our love for His Word, our love for the lost. And, uh, and so as we're thinking about that, this morning we began here in verses 19 and 20 where we were looking and seeing that the meaning of our evangelism. We're, we're thinking about a philosophy of evangelism and we want to understand that from the Word of God. And we saw this morning that we are to be looking at the meaning of evangelism. And really a good picture of that was a quote I used from an old pastor where he says, We're just beggars. That's all we are. We're just beggars who are telling other beggars where they can go find bread. And that's just reminding us of our spiritual condition and of their spiritual condition. And that we have come by God's grace to know of the one who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. And we have been able to partake of him by coming to him by faith and by turning from our sins and trusting in him. And we just want to go out and tell other beggars, here's the food. Here's the one that you need. And we saw that as we do that, that this is a responsibility of all of ours because it's a mandate. The mandate of our evangelism applies to everyone. Everyone who's a Christian has this calling on their life to share the gospel with others. And we also looked at this morning at the motivations that should be behind that. And in some sense, we should be motivated by love. In another sense, we're motivated by fear. The love is our love for Christ, our love for lost people, our love for the glory of God. But we also saw that there should be a fear that motivates us. And one of the things I shared with you that I think is important for us to always remember is that we need to have a fear of the Lord really on behalf of the unbeliever because really the unbeliever doesn't know that they should be fearful. They don't know that they should really be afraid of where they're standing with God. That was one of the amazing things when you, if you read it back when you were in English and in literature, uh, it was always amazing to me that in some of the classes that in college that they would have you to read sinners in the hands of an angry God. And the part of that was like, it's like you're, you're the sinner and you're in the hand of an angry God and you're just hanging over the fires of hell. And that people need to recognize that. And the good news is, is that God will rescue someone from that the fiery hell, but they have to come to God and come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, tonight as we come back to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, I want us to continue to think about this and the, the next, next aspect of our understanding and philosophy of evangelism is what I call the mission of our evangelism. The mission of our evangelism. And it's given there in verse 19, and it is the main idea. The main idea is not even about going. The main idea is not about baptizing. It's not about teaching. The main idea is about making disciples. And we're going to see that that is our mission statement. That is the mission of our evangelism. That is the mission, ultimately, in some sense, beloved, even of our church. And it's important to recognize what the mission is. For an example, when you think about the company Microsoft, here's their mission statement. To have a computer on every desktop in every home running our software. That's their mission. Or think about the mission of Nike. 
to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Or think about the mission of Disneyland. It's real profound. To make people happy. That's their mission. So what is our mission? Our mission, as we see here in verse 19, is to make disciples of all the nation. The Lord Jesus Christ, our master, our Lord, our captain, he is the one who has sent this mission, and we're just to join him on this mission that he has. And as Christians, we're all a part of this mission. Now understand that as we think about this, yes, our ultimate purpose in all things, obviously, is to glorify God. Bring honor and glory to the name of God. But as I said to you this morning, nothing really glorifies God, will bring God more glory than the salvation of sinners. Nothing will bring God more glory than a hell-bound sinner being reconciled to God by repenting of his sins and putting his faith in Christ and becoming a true child of God. God has called us to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. And here is why, when you think about it, it makes sense why it is that if somebody comes to be a born-again believer, that that really is the, brings the ultimate glory to God because now that that person's been saved, they can glorify God with other aspects of their life. They can glorify Him in their praise. They can glorify Him in their exalting of Him and their worship of Him and their work on His behalf and edifying others in every area of their life. They now have the capability by God's grace and through the redemption that has happened for them to now glorify God. In fact, go back to the verse that we read this morning. Again, this, go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And just think again about what it is Paul is saying here. That as the grace of God spreads, and that is what is happening when people are getting saved, the grace of God is spreading to more and more people. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 4.15, For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people, here's what it can cause. It may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. It brings God glory when there are more people, obviously, thanking Him for who He is recognizing Him for who He is, honoring Him for who He is, worshiping Him for who He is, believing in Him for who He is and what it is He's accomplished and what He has done. This is why this is so important when we think about this, that we are here in our mission. The mission of our evangelism is to make disciples of Christ from all of the nations. So this is our mission as a church. As we think about that, this is, then should guide us. It should guide us in what we say in our evangelism, what we do in our evangelism, how we will do it. So let's stop and think about this. We see in Matthew 28 and verse 19 that the mission Jesus was giving to his disciples that carries down to us today is to make disciples. So a question you should ask in your mind then is, what is a disciple? Even more specifically, what is a disciple of Christ? 
And a disciple of Christ is simply someone who is a follower of Christ. It's someone who loves Christ. It's someone who is leaning solely on Christ for the salvation of their soul, for their life eternal with God. It is someone who's also learning from Christ. Stop and think about this. What does the Bible teach us about Jesus? Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. When you think about Jesus as the prophet, if you become a disciple of Jesus the prophet, you want to learn from him. You want to learn from Christ. When you become a disciple of Jesus, Jesus the priest, you're leaning on him. It's about your faith in him. You're looking to him. When you're thinking about Jesus as the king, there you're thinking about following him, submitting to him, surrendering to him, committed to him, being loyal to him, loving him. This is what it is to be a disciple. And again, let's not get an idea in our head, well, a disciple is someone who has made a bigger commitment to Christ. Someone could be a Christian and not be a disciple. Not so. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches that. In fact, we find out when you look in the book of Acts that is there, the disciples were first called Christians. The word that was primarily used in the gospel and primarily used in the book of Acts when it's describing believers is the word disciple. So a disciple is a Christian. You say, well, I know a lot of people who say they're Christian, but they don't seem to love Jesus. They don't seem to want to learn from Jesus in his word. Well, it may be because they made a decision for Jesus, but they didn't really become a disciple of Jesus. They didn't really come to be made a disciple of Christ. Beloved, a a true Christian is a disciple of Christ. When someone is coming to Christ, here's the way I, I would like for you to think about it. They're not coming to make a one-time decision. They're coming to make a lifetime decision to follow Christ. See, it's a lifetime decision to follow him. That's why some want to come and just want to get the eternal security. Just give me the life eternal. Give me the guarantee I have it and let me go about my life and do what I want to do. But that's not the way Jesus did evangelism. When you read through the Gospels, when Jesus is doing evangelism, here are his invitations to him. His invitations to a man by the name of Levi was simply this, follow me. But there was a lot in that, those two words when he says, follow me. Because this is a man who had to walk away from his sins and from his sinful lifestyle and what he was doing to follow Christ. It was Jesus who would turn and speak to crowds and he would say, come to me. But when, as you come to me, he would say, I will give you my yoke and my yoke will be easy. But you're going to have the yoke put upon you. That is, I'm going to be your master and I'm going to be your guide and I'm going to be the one who's going to lead you. And when he said that also, he said, come and learn from me. You're coming to be a follower of mine. It is Jesus that would turn around and say, take up your cross and follow me. It was Jesus who said to a rich man who came to him, asking him the question of all questions, the question we would all want to be asked if we're out evangelizing. We would love for someone just to come up to us and say, good teacher, please tell me, how can I have eternal life? Jesus, obviously knowing this man, knowing his heart, And as he asked him some questions, he realized his self-righteousness 
And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you something you lack. You need to sell everything you've got. And you need to be willing to go give it to the poor. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And now come follow me. And that man heard. He came and asked a question. How can I have eternal life? Jesus told him and he turned and he walked away. He wanted no part of it. Now Jesus wasn't telling that man, go work for your salvation. Jesus was just speaking to the heart of that man. He was speaking to the sin that consumed his heart, consumed his life. Jesus was saying, you have to empty yourself of everything to embrace me as your Savior and as your Lord. In fact, if you will, look over in the Gospel of Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I have to do a double take. Because it really is saying some blunt things at times, some things that can just like, whoa, wait, wait a minute. But look over in verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Here it is. They're going along their way on the road. And someone said to him, someone comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he, that is Jesus, said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, you allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But again, notice he gives a little qualifier. But first, permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to get across to them that if you're really coming to follow him, if you're coming to embrace him, he comes first. This goes back to what typically people talk about, the lordship of Christ. It's just the lordship of Christ and salvation where Jesus is saying, I am Lord, I come first. This, these were the invitations This was the message Jesus was proclaiming to them. Because his mission, beloved, his mission was to make disciples. Don't don't forget that. That's his mission. That's our mission. His mission was to make disciples. In fact, if you want to see that, Well, we'll hold off on that for a moment, and I'll come back to that. But understand then, beloved, that's our mandate. See, when we say the mandate of our evangelism to go, our mandate then is to go out and make disciples of Christ. Make disciples of Christ. So that's our, that's our mission. Okay? And again, let's be about the business we're here for. 
Because when we look in the pages of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, there are a lot of wonderful things that we are called to do as Christians. We are called to praise the Lord. We're called to worship the Lord together. We're called to fellowship together. We're called to pray with one another. There's, there's all kinds of one another's that we're called to do in the body of Christ. But beloved, when you think about all those things, we can do every single one of those things way better in heaven. But the one thing we can't do in heaven is what? Evangelize. We cannot witness to one person here on this earth while we're in heaven. This is why this is our mission. This is to be what's driving us. Let's go back to Matthew 28. Because the next thing I want us to see, when we're thinking about our evangelism. We know what our mission is. But I want you to see now what is the ministry that is involved in our evangelism. That is, what is the ministry that is involved then in fulfilling this mandate and this mission of making disciples of Christ? And that leads you to the rest of verse 19 and into verse 20. Go therefore, as I say, the main thought, the main verb, the main idea is making disciples of all the nations. My going is so so I can make disciples. My baptizing and teaching. This is the ministry activity, aspect of our evangelism in this sense. As we're going out to make disciples. Notice who it is that is being baptized. Baptizing them. Okay, who, who's that referring to? The them is referring to the disciples. You baptize the disciples. And you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And not only that, the ministry involved then is to teach them. Teach who? Teach the disciples. Teach them all that I have commanded you. So here is the ministry of our evangelism. It is baptizing them and teaching them. And this is what we see from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Go over to the Gospel of John for a moment. Go over to John chapter 3. And I want you to see, this is what Jesus was doing while he was here on this earth. He was making disciples. In fact, in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, that's why there's a particular discussion that comes up between John the Baptist and some of his disciples. Because they're there following John, and they know Jesus is now in the area, and Jesus is in the area, and Jesus is making disciples. In fact, Jesus is starting to make more disciples than John. And they're getting concerned about this. And that's why they're asking the questions of John. In verse 26, about he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John rightfully says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. 
He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He, that is Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. It is right for him to be increasing. Because really John's mission was about Jesus' mission. John wasn't there to make disciples for himself. He was there to make disciples that were going to come, become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what it says in verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and he was spending time with them and baptizing. Why it says in verse 23, John also was baptizing. There was much water there. But look over in verse 4, I mean chapter 4, verse 1, where we see this connection that is there. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, making what? Making more disciples than John. So you see, Jesus was in the disciple-making business. This is what he was here doing on this earth. He was about making disciples, but an aspect of that making disciples was baptizing them. He was baptizing those disciples. Now, if you go ahead and, and read there, you will notice what it will say. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So understand, when we think about this ministry that's involved in our evangelism, that we're not just wanting to get someone to make some type of decision. We're wanting someone to become a disciple of Christ. And as we are ministering to them and teaching them and talking to them about that, one of the first things they need to do is to follow the Lord in baptizing, being baptized. Being baptized, as we read there in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is simply to say that they are to be identifying with the triune God. They're identifying with Him. And beloved, may I say this to you? It is here, at the baptism, that the person is making their public profession of faith. It is there that they're letting the world know. They're letting the community know. They're letting their family and their friends know. They're letting everyone know, I am identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. I am identifying with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is the one that I am identifying with. It is there. If you want to see, this is carried on by the apostles. Go over, if you will, for a moment. Go over to the book of Acts. And go to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. Acts chapter 2. If you know the flow of the book of Acts, you know in chapter 1, Jesus has spent around 40 days or so with his disciples after his resurrection. Now he's ascended back to heaven. He's given them the charge once again that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when you receive that power, you're to go out and use it. You're to go out and witness unto me, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Because the Spirit of God's going to come to point people to Christ. And now in chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost that comes forward where the Spirit of God is poured out upon the apostles. Peter takes his stand in verse 14 with the eleven. He begins to raise his voice and declare to them the gospel. 
People are hearing this and they're being pierced to their heart, asking what it is they are to do to be saved. Peter tells them what it is they need to do and they need to be saved from this perverse generation in verse 40. And then verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. What I'm saying to you, beloved, is that as we fulfill our mission, our mission is to make disciples. And it's, it's not our mission just to get them to make that decision or make that profession of faith. A part of our making disciples is once someone it comes to Christ, making that commitment of their life to Christ, trusting Him as their Savior and Lord, that then they're to be baptized. Baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is what should be a part of our approach as we come into things, as we evangelize people. We think about their following of Christ. And beloved, I won't assume that everyone here has been, has been baptized. If, you, if you're a follower of Christ here tonight, and you know that you love Christ, and you're, you're a follower of Christ, and you're trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've never been baptized, beloved, you, you do need to be baptized. It is an act of obedience. It is something that is commanded of us as Christians, as followers, as disciples of Christ is to be baptized. Because in doing that, what you're actually doing is then publicly identifying with Christ. You publicly identify with Christ. So there's this baptism. But notice again what else Jesus said. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he didn't stop there. Okay, remember, this is a part of our mission. We're to fulfill every aspect of this mission. Another aspect of this mission of making disciples is now teaching them. And Jesus says, they're teaching them all that I have commanded you. And if you recall some things we've talked about, when you look over in the Gospel of John, that whenever... Uh, Jesus said the Spirit comes. He said he was going to guide those apostles especially into truth to remind them of the things that he had said and done. And that covers the Gospels for us. But then he said also he's going to bring to your remembrance. He's going to reveal to you, disclose some things to you that you don't know right now. That fills out the rest of the New Testament. So understand when Jesus says there, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, that goes then to the whole Bible. All of Scripture to obey what God has said. If you think about it, just a moment ago we were in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, I read that verse in verse 41 where it says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They, that is this these thousands of souls that were baptized and added that day, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, you've got to remember what that means when it talks about the apostles' teaching. It is the apostles that God was using to lay the foundation, the foundation there for the New Testament church, and that ultimately is going to be the New Testament that we have. 
Remember, there is no New Testament here in Acts chapter 2. All there is at this moment in time, all there is is the Old Testament. And they would have taught the Old Testament. That's how they would have even evangelized, using the Old Testament. But as God began to give divine revelation that was to be recorded and written and and spread throughout that we come to know as the New Testament, that is what is involved with the apostles' teaching. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were gathering together with the apostles to learn. Just as in Jesus' day, they were gathering together with Jesus to learn. This is a part of his making disciples. What I'm telling you, beloved, is if someone in Jesus' day would have said, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and you say, well, do you go listen to him? Do you go to learn and gather and to listen to what he's saying and to learn from him? And you say, no, I have no interest in that. They would have said, well, you're not a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus was someone who was actually following him. And in that following him, they were learning from him, listening to him. That doesn't mean they got to go with him every single day or all the time, but there was this desire that was in their heart. You see, beloved, the reason why we can understand this idea of making disciples is going to involve this idea of teaching them. It's because the person who is a true Christian, who's been born again, has a new heart. They are a new creature, a new creation. And in that being born again, a new heart, they now have a hunger for the Word of God. That doesn't mean that we hunger for it as we should all the time. We can go through peaks and valleys of our hunger for God's word, but there is something there we want to learn. We just want to learn. You think about it. You're, go over to the book of Acts to Acts chapter 20 for just a moment. Acts chapter 20. Paul Verse 17 calls the the elders of the church to himself. And if you recall just a couple of weeks ago when we were looking in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we saw that elders is just simply another word for overseers, which is simply another word for pastors. He called together the plurality of the pastors that were there at the church at Ephesus. And look at what he, he starts reminding them of his ministry with them. And he says in verse 18, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Now notice now in verse 21 what he was teaching and testifying to them about. I was testifying solemnly to you, the Jews and the Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This was a part of his message. This was his evangelizing of them. Go down to verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. How is it he can be so 
sure that he is innocent of the blood of all men because of what he knows that he did while he was with them that he says there in verse 27 when he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I preached the whole thing. That doesn't mean that he took uh, everything verse by verse from Genesis 1 to the last book of the Old Testament. But what he was saying is, is while I was there with you, I was teaching you the word of God. I was teaching you the whole counsel, the whole purpose of God. You were there to learn and to listen and to grow. This was a part of their being made disciples. Beloved, this is what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. And in making disciples, the ministry that's involved with that is to instruct them about baptism, instruct them about being taught the Word of God. This is the mission. This is the mission that we have been given. And again, if we want to see, and we're going to talk some more about this next Sunday, but if Jesus was making disciples, then we can go back and look and see what was Jesus doing. If the apostles were making disciples, we can go back and look, what were the apostles doing? We can see their message, the message that they were preaching. It can guide us and direct us as we go out to proclaim the gospel. Well, here's what I would just kind of have us to think about as we close this out this evening. That as we, as you set out to share the gospel with someone, remember what your mission is. Your mission is to see them become a disciple of Christ. And if you want to see them become a disciple of Christ, you won't leave it at them just making a profession of faith or, or something of, of that nature. If you are out to share the gospel with people, and remember we're mandated to do that, we have to follow through with that and looking at also the responsibility of making sure that they want to follow the Lord and follow Him in baptism and follow the Lord in being taught the Word of God. Love, as we think about our evangelism, as you think about your evangelism, let's think about it in this light. When we think about the issue again of the baptism that is there, that publicly identifying with Christ, brother, that is where we should recognize them as publicly identifying with Christ when they are truly going to follow the Lord in baptism. Make sure that as you go out to evangelize that you're not just trying to get someone to make a decision. You're trying to get them to become a disciple. Let that be the emphasis. Disciple making is to be the emphasis of our evangelism. Stressing to them that you are making a lifelong commitment to Christ. Oh, it's worth it. Make it. Make the commitment. Come to Christ. Believe upon Christ. Trust in Christ. 
It's like the parable that we see that the Lord teaches of the man who finds the treasure and what does he do? He's willing to go and give up everything and bury that treasure because it becomes the most precious thing in his life. That's what salvation is, beloved. When you truly come to see your sinfulness, you truly come to see your brokenness and your helplessness and your hopelessness and your rebellion against God and you see a loving God that's willing to still forgive you and reconcile with you and make things right with you. You come running to him fleeing from your sin, fleeing from everything you're trusting in and putting your faith in him, committing your life to him. That doesn't mean that we will follow the Lord always as we should. It doesn't mean that we can't fall down, step back. Believers do that. But we'll see this change in our direction, a change in our disposition. A change in our desires. Oh, beloved, may we be faithful to this. May we be faithful to this. We'll be faithful to this mission that the Lord has given us. So if someone was to ask you, what's the mission? What is the mission of East Gina Baptist Church? What's the mission of your evangelism? What's the mission of your missions? You should be able to say clearly, our mission is to make disciples of Christ and to make disciples of Christ from all of the nations, from all of the people groups. That's what God has called us to do. And Lord, may we be about doing it and being faithful to Him. And look, and... Go back to Matthew 28 for just a moment. I'm going to close. Matthew 28. As we set out to go, I want you to see what this commission is sandwiched between. I promise that we go out with his authority and we go out with his presence. Verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So you go out as an ambassador of Christ to make disciples for Christ. You go out in the authority of Christ. Okay, so so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be fearful. Go out in the authority of Christ. You get to speak the gospel and don't back down. Don't compromise it. Don't step back from it. Just lovingly and graciously speak the word of God. Speak the gospel in truth. But know that you are going in and with the authority of Christ. And not only that, notice at the end of verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And then he makes this wonderful promise to them. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's not the end of the age. So beloved, Jesus is still with his disciples as they go out and about and scatter to make disciples as they baptize them, as they teach them. They go out with the promise of his presence, of his authority. Let that set us free. Set us free to fulfill our mission. Our mission of making disciples. I want to ask you to bow your head in prayer for a moment.